You view church as just one more obligation on your plate, on your schedule. And your life would be a lot easier if you could just spend Sunday sleeping in. You didn't have to worry about getting the kids ready and here on time. To many people, church is boring, right? Boring. When you're at church, all you can think about is when's this going to end? When are we going to get out? Where are we going to go eat? Right? It evokes thoughts of some guy going on and on and on about your sin and Jesus' blood. Maybe this is the first time that you've been in church in a while, and the last time that you were in a church, that church gave you two options, turn or burn, and you didn't like either option. Right? Neither one of those options seemed very fun to you, and so you don't see church as something that can be fun and exciting. Maybe you see church as an obligation. You would say that you're a Christian. You would say that you're a follower of Jesus. And so belonging to a church is just something that's expected of you, something you're supposed to do. Maybe, maybe church has become frustrating to you. I would say that if you've been a part of a church for a year, that at some time in the course of that year, that church has decided to do something in a way that mm, you wouldn't quite have done it just like that. And you think that mm, you actually would have done it better if they had just asked you. The church can be frustrating. You don't believe me? Just go ask a pastor. And the church can be disappointing. Right? The church that you once were excited about, the church that you once found vibrant and life-sustaining, can become frustrating and can disappoint you. You get disappointed when someone doesn't come and speak to you, when the pastor doesn't call or visit you. You get disappointed when the music team won't play your favorite song and sing your favorite hymn. The church can be hard to love. Maybe for some of you, the church is just your tradition. You grew up going to church. At times you found it helpful. You actually enjoy coming here and seeing people that you know. But you've never really thought deep about why you are here. You've never really thought deep about what it means and what it looks like to love the church. Well, for all of you, we're going to be unpacking some of the reasons that Scripture gives us to love the church in this series. All right, so where are we going in this series? We've got four weeks, and today, in our first week, we're going to be laying the foundation. Today, we're going to be seeing why the church is crucial to who God has designed you to be and to who He's restoring you to be. Then next Sunday, we're going to be looking at a church in Scripture that was a very difficult church, right? You've all heard your horror stories of churches gone wild, right? Well, next week we're going to be looking at the Bible's story of a church that went wild. It was the church at Corinth. And if I told you that there was a church down the street doing some of the things that the church at Corinth was doing, you wouldn't believe me. You would be astonished. You would be appalled. The church at Corinth was messed up. But yet we learn 
in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that we can love the church, even very difficult churches going through very difficult seasons. Then two weeks from today will be the climax of this series in which we very simply look at Jesus' own love for the church. You don't want to miss that Sunday. And then for the fourth Sunday in this series, we're going to change gears a little bit. It's going to be the last sermon that I get to preach here with you guys. And so I am going to share with you what I believe to be something that is absolutely crucial for you to hear before Michael comes and starts as your new pastor. All right, so that's where we're going. I hope that you will join us each week this next month in this series, Why Love the Church. But before we get going too far into this series, we do need to get on the same page so that we all understand what I mean when I'm saying the church. All right, so let's spend the next few minutes here answering the question, what is the church? What is the church? And the easiest way to begin understanding what the church is is to understand what the church is not. So here's a couple things that the church is not. Number one, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. Sure, we've all driven by a building with a steeple on top and stained glass windows and said, wow, isn't that a pretty church? Right? We, we do. We talk about buildings as being churches, but the reality is that the church is so much more than a building, and I'm not trying to compel anyone in this series to fall in love with a building. That would be ridiculous. The second thing that a church is not is that the church is not an event. Let's be clear on that. Sure, we Ask our neighbors, do you go to church anywhere? We invite them to come to church with us on Sundays. We tell our kids, your kids, it's time to get ready for church on Sunday. We speak as though church is an event on Sundays, but the church is much more than just the gathering. And loving the church is much more than just increasing your attendance. The third thing that the church is not is the church is not a club, right? So there's no strobe lights and hip-hop music and sweaty dancing and raining Benjamins in here, right? Most of you have probably never been to a club like that. But there are other types of clubs, right? There's country clubs, there's yacht clubs, there's bingo clubs, there's book clubs. And sometimes people mistake the church as being like one of those clubs because what's characteristic of those clubs is that it's all people who look alike and, and, and like the same things and they dress alike and, and they think the same way and they smell alike. And they're all getting together at the exclusion of anyone who's not like them. But the church is not like that. Right? The, the church is to welcome all peoples. The fourth thing that the church is not is that the church is not a museum. The church is not a museum. I'm not here just to read you a story from an ancient text to increase your knowledge about the biblical times. Right? This is more than just a history class. It's relevant for today. Now, I like some buildings... Okay, and I like some events, and I like Sam's Club, and I like some museums, but the church is so much more than any of these things. The church is a people. The church is God's people. 
where we actually get the very word church comes from the Greek. In the New Testament, the Greek word ekklesia. You've probably heard that term thrown around. Ekklesia is a com- compound word, basically meaning called out from. Right? And it came to refer to these people who were called out of their regular activity and they assembled together for a distinct purpose such as business. When the Old Testament, originally written in Hebrew, was translated from Hebrew into Greek, the translators used the word ekklesia to describe a group of people who had embraced the call upon their lives and chosen to follow it. Okay, so belonging to this group gave you a distinct purpose. It shaped your identity. And belonging to this group was distinct from the group that you were simply born into. It was a group of calling. And so in the New Testament, Paul, he describes the church in Rome, for instance, as those called to belong to Jesus Christ and those called to be saints. He wrote to the church in Corinth, said that you are called to be holy. And all this is to say that the church is the people called by God to belong to Him. So some of you may have been going to church since nine months before you were born. But no one actually becomes part of the true church, as we are speaking of it today, until you respond in faith to God's invitation to receive his forgiveness and honor Jesus as first in your life. The church is made up of those who follow Jesus. The church is God's people. Okay? Well, that's kind of the scholar's way to define the church is by looking at the terms and the definitions. And and that can be helpful, but But I find that actually a better way to help us understand what the church is is through the images and the pictures that Scripture gives us of the church. I love the Bible because the Bible explains things through stories and through pictures and through an occasional argument. And so I'm pretty sure that none of you go home and sit on your sofa to relax and pick up the dictionary and start reading through it. Right? But you probably do enjoy looking at pictures and hearing stories and the occasional debate. Right? So I want to give you three images, three pictures that Scripture gives us of what the church is. Right? So here, here are three images. The first one, interestingly enough, is that one of the images the Bible used to describe the church is that of a building. Well, wait a minute, I thought you said the church isn't a building. You're right, the church is not a building, but the church is like a building. In what way? The church is like a building in that the people, the individuals, are like the building blocks, are like the bricks. And each person is shaped and sanded and then set on top of one another and beside one another. We are put together. Scripture says that we are being fit together. If you walked outside these doors and you saw a brick laying on the sidewalk, you probably wouldn't gather all your friends around and say, wow, look at that brick. Isn't that brick something? Take pictures of it, post it on Facebook, send a postcard. Wow, man, look at this brick. No, if you saw one brick, one single solitary brick laying on the sidewalk, you'd pick it up and you'd say, hmm, I wonder where this belongs. 
I wonder where this brick came from. I wonder where it goes, right? No one goes to the hardware store or wherever and buys one single solitary brick and takes it home and puts it on the mantle as a centerpiece in their home. No, you buy bricks, plural. You buy pallets of bricks and stacks of bricks so that you can actually build something with those bricks. Bricks belong together. When I was little, I had this set of these large cardboard boxes that were painted to look like bricks. Man, those were like my favorite toy. I loved playing with those cardboard boxes. Now, it would not have been fun at all if I'd only had one block. Not much fun at all. But when I could bring all of those blocks out, and I could stack them on top of each other, I could build something that was bigger than myself. And I loved it. It was so much fun. When Christians are put together, we become something great. We're not meant to stand alone. We're meant to be put together and built into something bigger than ourselves. The Bible says that actually we become the place where God resides, where God dwells. So together we become God's new and better temple. Bricks belong together, and followers of Jesus belong together. The second image that the Bible gives us of the church is that it describes the church as a family. As a family. This week, I went to a man's funeral who had been homeless and living in a shelter for the last roughly four years of his life. As one man at the funeral put it, he had been out of circulation for a while. So he hadn't had co-workers for years. His friends and buddies had lost touch with him. I mean, the man didn't even have an address to where they could contact him. But guess who showed up at his funeral? His family. His family members showed up. You know, as dysfunctional as our families can be, and they all are in some way, families remain the closest unit in our culture. Families are the backbone of society. And when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible tells us some great news, and that great news is that God adopts us as his children. It says in John 1 that we receive the right, the privilege to be called his children, not because of anything that we have done, not because of anything that we deserve, but because Jesus has given us the credit for the life that he lived. Okay, Jesus is God's son. And we get the privilege of calling God Daddy, just like Jesus did. That's unbelievable. That is astonishing. And this is what actually gives us assurance of our salvation, okay? What gives us assurance of our salvation is not that we will one day be able to stand before God and say, God, well, I did this and this and this and this. I kept these rules and these rules, and I was a good person. That's not going to give us any assurance 
of salvation. But what assures us that we will be accepted by God is that Jesus' sacrifice was made for our wrongs and that God gives us the credit for the perfect life that Jesus lived. The life of an obedient son we get the credit for. Right, so our assurance of salvation is that we enter into this relationship with God, whereby He treats us as His own Son. And just as God the Father is never going to turn away God the Son, so God the Father will never turn away His adopted children. The other implication of this is that in becoming God's children, We become placed into his family, and the other followers in Jesus become our brothers and sisters. Right, so some people think that you become a Christian first, and then if you want to, you you then one day find a church and kind of plug in there. But the reality is that when God calls you to himself, he calls you to belong to his family. If you don't believe me, read Ephesians chapter 2. And if you're not plugged in to a church, I'm not saying that you're not saved, but you are estranged. And I don't think that an estranged child makes the father very happy. Fathers love when their children love one another. So the church is like a family. Third, the church is like a body. It's like a body. And this is a powerful image that instructs that we belong together. Because how good is a hand by itself that's cut off from the body? Not very good, huh? How about a leg? As tone and fit and muscular as a leg may be, if that leg is cut off from the body, there is not a chance in the world that that leg is going to run a marathon. That'd be ridiculous, right? The body functions by working together. And Scripture says that each follower of Jesus is like a different body part, and we are designed to work together. Going it alone, by ourselves, is not God's design. Each of you has a unique gift that is meant to be contributed. It's intended to be used for the benefit of others in this church. And if one body part is not doing its job, the whole body suffers. Has it ever had a stuffy nose? It doesn't just slow your nose down, it slows your whole self down, right? Ever smashed your thumb? In that moment, your whole body becomes one throbbing thumb. That's all you can think about is that thumb. We are all members of one body with Christ as our head, and if one of us is less committed, then it's going to affect us all. So as we talk about the church in this series, I want you to think about this building that you're being fit to be a part of. I want you to think about this family that you belong to. I want you to think about this body that you are a member of in Christ. As we talk about the church, I want you to think about people, community, the people in this room. Think about your relationships to one another. And I ask you, do you love the church.
All right, now go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Shouldn't take you long to get there. It's the first book, the first chapter in the whole Bible. So just open up to the front. And as we start answering this question, why I love the church, what better place to start than at the very beginning? Here, we have divine revelation of how this world and mankind came into existence. We see what we are put on this earth for. And here we find our first reason for why we should love the church. Pick up with me in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, we believe, as the Bible tells us, that there is only one God. And yet, we read God speaking to someone here. Verse 26, it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's a bit strange for this one God to be speaking in this conversational manner. Well, with these words, we enter into a conversation between the three persons of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This one God of ours is a triune God. Right? And so confession here, I'm not going to explain to you the Trinity today because I can't explain to you the Trinity. And I'm okay with that because there has been because no man has been able to explain the Trinity. The Trinity is beyond our human comprehension. We can't wrap our brains around it so that we understand it nice and neatly. But that doesn't change the fact that our God has revealed himself to us as one God comprising of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you may be scratching your head right now thinking, what in the world does the doctrine of the Trinity have to do with my love for this church? I'm glad you asked. And if you didn't ask, I'm still going to explain it anyway. What we learn through the doctrine of the Trinity is that God is not an isolated, lonely God but rather He is a communion of three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit have loved, adored, enjoyed, and even served one another from all eternity. It's often asked, why did God create people? Why did God create us? And and an answer that's often given is that God created us to have a relationship with Him. Well, that's true, but sometimes it's conveyed in such a way that we think, oh, God must have been lonely before he created people. And that's not true. God did not need to create people in order to experience love and community. Love and community are part of God's being part of his essence, and he has experienced and enjoyed love and community for all eternity. 
So why did God create us? Well, it says here in Genesis that God created us in his own image and after his own likeness. So God created us to be his image, to reflect him, to be his mirror. And we are designed to mirror God not just out of duty, but mirroring God is also our delight. Right, and I, I want to help you see that. I've mentioned to you before that when I was little, you know, every time that I was playing basketball in the backyard, I would somehow turn into Michael Jordan. Right? I always wanted to imagine myself shooting like Michael Jordan, jumping like Michael Jordan dribbling like Michael Jordan, right, because he was the greatest, and I had admiration for him, and so I wanted to be like him, but what's interesting is that I can never recall a time when my sister, when she played basketball, when she wanted to be like Michael Jordan, she was much more interested in being like Pr Princess Di, right, girls now want to be like Princess Kate, you know, wh wh why is that? Well, I think one reason why boys want to be like great athletes is because they see that there's a likeness in them with those athletes. For one, they're looking at male figures, and they are male, and so they, they want to be like that. They see that there is a likeness, and so they aspire to imitate those who exhibit their likeness in great capacities. Females are the same way. Imitation follows adoration. Right? We imitate those people that we adore. And God has made us in His image and after His likeness so that we can more fully enjoy Him. There is something in God that we connect to unlike the beasts of the field or the birds of the air. There's a likeness that we see between us and God and, and it causes us to want to aspire to be like Him. God has created us relational so that we can relate to him. And, and I don't know each and every one of your personal desires, but I, I do know that each of you have desires and longings that are relational. You long to find love, to know love, to know intimacy, to be close with other people. but we only find those relational values perfectly exhibited in God. And so God has wired us relationally 
not so that we find our ultimate happiness in human relationships, but so that we find joy in Him. It's interesting that in verse 27, God said that He created man in His own image, male and female, He created them. Now, in chapter 2 of Genesis, we get an expanded version of this account of God's creation of man. And there we learn that God created Adam, the male, first. And then God said in verse 18 of Genesis 2, he says, It is not good for the man to be alone. Now, why was this so? Many people have pointed out that though Adam was alone, he wasn't lonely because he had this incredible relationship with God. But the reason it wasn't good for Adam to be alone is that because by himself, he could not reflect this communal aspect of God. Sure, Adam could reflect God in his dominion and in his authority over other things. But Adam, by himself, could not enjoy the love and understanding from someone like himself. He could not experience mutual service as God within the Trinity, experiences. We were made to mirror God. And hear this, all right? Don't miss this. Only when human beings live in community do we fully reflect God's likeness. There are attributes of God that we cannot reflect unless we are living in relationships. So the point is that God has made you for community. God has made you to be in community. In fact, when Jesus summed up all of God's commands, he did so in relational terms. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, in that passage in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is responding to a question from the Pharisees when the Pharisees said, what is the one single greatest commandment? And it's peculiar, peculiar that in response to this question of what is the one single greatest commandment, Jesus gives two. He says, love God and love your neighbor. He responds in such a way because we cannot love God if that love for God does not overflow in love for people. There's a story about Daniel Boone that says that when Daniel Boone would see the smoke arising from another man's cabin, he felt too crowded. He felt like he didn't have any elbow room. right? And so he would move further into the American frontier. But God didn't make us to live like the Daniel Boones of folklore. Okay, we all have this yearning for deep relationships, to have others who know us and love us still, and that's because God has made us for community. And He has designed relationships in such a way that we learn more about God through our relationships. And he has designed us in such a way that we also grow to be more like God through our relationships. All right, so I have learned 
about grace and love and faithfulness through my relationship with my wife. I also learn how to be more faithful and more loving and more gracious through my relationship with my wife. So relationships are not ultimately for your own personal happiness, right? Relationships are God's design to help you to grow to be more like Him, and in Him we find our ultimate happiness, right? So relationships are not the end game, they are the means. God has made us relational to relate to Him. He's made us to be like Him so that we can enjoy Him, and without relationships, we cannot fully mirror His likeness. So here's the deal. Though created in God's image with the purpose of reflecting His character, none of us mirror Him as we ought. We know that, right? We are like mirrors that have been smashed, and if someone video recorded our lives they would be able to identify segments and fragments where we do distribute, display characteristics that are like God. But the image of God in us is not clear and it's definitely not whole. There's not a clear reflection. But as God restores us into the image of Jesus, into His image, He's fixing that shattered mirror. He's restoring us into his image. And watch this. If, as we have seen, we cannot fully reflect God's likeness without community, then God's restoration will entail restoring us in community. God has created for his people a community in which they will become more like him. And reflect his image. That community is the church. I mean, how else could God restore you to forgive as he forgives unless he put you in the context of other people? How else could God restore you to love others as he does without putting you in the context of people? How else could God restore you to serve others with joy as well as receive others' service with joy without putting you in the context of a community whereby the people are not trying to gain power or prominence over one another. So why love the church? Reason number one is love the church because of who God is. God is a communal being. And we were created to mirror Him And he's restoring us to mirror him. And the way that he is doing that is by placing us into his family, into the community of the church. And so if you are isolating yourself from the church, you are choosing not to reflect God's communal aspects. God has made you for community, and he's restoring you in community. 
Will you love the church? If you only love the church when the church is singing the music that you enjoy to sing, and when the pastor is doing things the way that you would have him do them, when he's preaching sermons that you like to hear, who are you really loving? If you only love others when they are easy to love by offering you friendship and love in return, who's really at the center of your affection? If you only love the church for what the church can do for you, then your commitment will wax and wane. It will grow and fade. You'll dial back how much you volunteer. You'll start critiquing and complaining. You'll become bitter and you'll look for other options, but in the end, you're not going to be satisfied because you are not doing what you were built to do, and that is mirror God's likeness. So love the church because of God. Love the church because you love God and you are awed by God and you want to be like God. You want to imitate Him. Love the church because of how serving the church forms you into His image. Right? The church is God's design for your life. It's not the design of a pastor, of a priest, or of a pope. And if you love God, your aim will be to mirror Him, and you cannot do that alone. In Christ, we belong together. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. Because no one has loved us near as much as you have. So Father, I pray that you would help us to desire first and foremost for our lives your own glory and that, that we would desire to just mirror your likeness because we, we like you so much and we love you so much. We just want to be like you. Help us to do that. Give us clearer vision of who you are and, and may that reflect in our love for people. Father, may we see the church as your good design for our lives whereby we can actually enjoy you more. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand, and if you're here today and you feel like you are isolated, not just isolated from God's people, but isolated from God himself, I would invite you to come, and, and I'd love to talk with you about how to enter into a relationship with God whereby you can be assured of your salvation and of his ex acceptance. But today, perhaps, you simply need to renew your commitment to God's people. So I encourage you to do that. Do it however God's Spirit prompts you to do it. If that's to go and to seek the forgiveness of someone in this room, do that. If that's to go and, and just tell someone that you love them, do that. If that's to stay in your seat and sing this song of response. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. If you're a guest, we are honored to have you and uh, look forward to worshiping with you again. Uh, if you'll take your bulletin, I have a few things to point out. Uh, to you. Um, if you're uh, 
ladies, girls going to the uh, women's ACC basketball tournament. Um, see, um, well, it doesn't say who to see, but I need to get some glasses. See Paula Henschel <laughs> for that information as well. Um, your deacon of the week this week will be Larry Evans. Um, his phone numbers, home and cell, are in the bulletin. And if you have a need, please allow him the opportunity to minister to you. And if he's not available, we have a, a team of deacons that will step up and uh, fill the gap for him if he is unable to get away uh, from his duties at work and home or what, what have you. So. Uh, keep that in mind. Um, if you can't touch base with him, please call the office and let Karen know uh, that you have a need, and she will she will send out uh, a message to him and the deacon body as well. Uh, a couple other items, uh, lost and found. Um, if you lost something, check it out uh, in the Bollinger Center. Uh, also, attention ladies in our church. Um, our new pastor to be here uh, later in, in uh, February has sent out a message about if you'd like to do a study. And the, uh, the uh, information is there in your bulletin. Uh, you can contact uh, Michael. He has a phone number and email if you're interested in following. I believe it's uh, uh, Teaching New Testament uh, at the, the Women's Institute at Southeastern. So, ladies, special class there. Um, also, our child uh, care openings and our daycare have some openings. So if you know someone in need, please um, make them aware of that in the two- to five-year-old age. And finally, uh, next Sunday, um, church, bring some, uh, I think the, the deal is we're going to have a shower luncheon for Brian and Lindsay. They are newly expecting parents soon and um, most of us understand the excitement there so we're going to have a, a meal after church so church we ask that you bring um, crock pots of soup chili sandwiches crackers drinks to share in a lunch together and in the bulletin there you can see um, where they are registered and uh, we will share in that joy uh, with them are there any other announcements that fess? Um, Okay. I'll let you close this. Is that be all right? The question's going to be asked, what's worship going to look like with Michael Combs? I'm going to ask you to look around. I don't foresee any major changes quickly. I'm going to ask you now, and I will several more times before he arrives, if you have any administrative problems, please come see the leadership team, the financial advisory team, or the personnel team. Let's allow him time to, to come join with us, understand how things work, and be our pastor. You have a fabulous deacon body. If you've got problems before it becomes a crisis, please contact one of us. Michael will be more than happy to give you any spiritual guidance, any counseling that he can. But by all means, if, 
part of us on the deacons can help you? Call. We can only be available to those that ask and can only go to concerns that are brought to our attention. It's going to come out in the next little bit that any of you that have been ordained to be deacons, I ask you to come see Marvin. It may not be that you want to serve if you don't talk to him. But if you have been ordained to be a deacon, uh, remember that that's a calling that's on us for life. Uh, we'd love to put you back in rotation and serve because that's what the deacons here do. I'm excited. So is Rachel and Michael. And I know that we all are excited. But you know, we should be excited because we serve a God that's good. That we have a Savior that lives. And that even though we're unworthy, we have opportunity to gather and gather to worship. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, I just thank you, Father, that, that you've called us out, Father, that you've set us apart. And Father, you find ways to use us to bring you glory, even though, Father, we're unusable. Father, I ask, Father, that you give us wisdom and guidance and understanding, Father. I pray for Michael and his church, Father. I pray for his family, Father. I pray for the transition, Father. In both places. And I pray, Father, that, that regardless if the sound system works, Father, or if the screens light up, that you help us to find ways that we can worship the God of all creation. The God who brought us together for that sole purpose. Not only to worship Him, Father, but to be the light that points the whole world around us to Him. So, Father, I thank you for our capable teachers, Father, our life group leaders, Father. I pray for the opportunity we have to go deeper into the Word. And, Father, I just pray that, that you bless us, Father, for the simple act of worship. So, Father, I thank you for the cross, for the blood that was shed there, Father, for an empty tomb, Father, that means my Savior, was victorious even over death. So we come to you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.